0: When I think of of Christmas, and and particularly Christmas Eve, it's uh, it's a time that, I have to say, fills me with a great deal of nostalgia, Uh, because I'm quickly taken back to to when I was a child, uh, sitting up, gathered around for for the children's message, thinking of of gathering in, uh, in dark sanctuaries at my home church in Minnesota, or my grandparents' church in Iowa, and, and, and singing all those, those beloved Christmas hymns and, and carols. And, and even uh, tonight, even though we're, we're in Seattle and snow is rare, I've got to be filled with even more nostalgia as we get this, this white Christmas that I was so accustomed to as a kid. Uh, and as much as I, I love the time of Christmas, I also kind of hate sort of trying to prepare uh, for, for preaching on Christmas because it, it's it 's a time of year that that is uh, one of those moments that is is so uh, so beloved by people in the church that that it 's really difficult to try and say something meaningful for, for the day uh, it 's really difficult to to say something that that hasn 't been said before and so what we uh, kind of we 're trying to do this year is is kind of take a step back and, and examine. The whole story of Christmas. And not just the story of Christmas, but really the whole story of Scripture uh, through one of the, the particular themes that we see throughout the scriptures. If you read through through the Bible, you'll notice that, that the story of the gospel, it's told in a variety of ways. They use a lot of themes and, and metaphors, which is almost inevitable when you have a story this big that, that spans so much time and is written by so many people. You have to find a number of different ways to retell this story. So, for example, you'll hear the story of Scripture and and God coming to His people. you hear it told in terms of perhaps what is lost being found. Or or you'll you'll hear it told in in terms of people who were alienated from God actually being reconciled to God. You'll hear it told in terms of, of what was enslaved being set free what was dead being made alive. You'll you'll hear it told in terms of those who are guilty in the sight of God being pronounced just and innocent because of Jesus. And and while I don't want to ignore all all of those other themes, all of those other ways of of telling the story, I want to kind of focus in on, on one in particular. As we gather together tonight in the dark... This theme that we see throughout of Scripture of, of light and darkness. You notice that when we began our service tonight, we didn't actually begin with the nativity story. We actually began at the start of Scripture. We began with the creation story. And you heard the, the very first words that God speaks over His creation. He simply says, "...let there be light." Have you ever thought that it's a peculiar thing that the first thing that God says, the first word that He speaks, the first thing He creates is light? Before He makes anything else, before He separates the land and sea and sky, we don't get that until a little bit later, before He creates humans, but before He creates animals, before He even creates our sources of light. God says, let there be light. It's kind of a strange beginning, isn't it? But we discover here that what God desires for His creation is that we would see. God wants His creatures to be able to see the work of His hands. He wants us to be able to look upon the beauty of creation and behold it. He wants us to be able to see the person next to us to look upon the face of our neighbor and our loved ones. And after all, without light, there is no sight. And so what is the first thing that God says? He says, let there be light, so that we would actually be able to see. But as you go throughout Scripture, you see that this theme of of light and darkness, it becomes something far more important, something far more meaningful than just physical sight. That these themes of, of light and darkness... Really, they point us to something bigger. Light becomes this theme that is intended to talk about what it means to have knowledge of God. What does it mean to know Him? So, to know God, to to live with knowledge of Him, is to walk and live in the light. And to be ignorant of God is to walk blindly, it's to live in, in darkness. So God says, let there be light. Not just that we would see the material things of this world. He says, let there be light so that we would see and know Him. God desires that we would look upon His creation and see in it a reflection of His glory and His love. He desires that that we would look around us and be filled with the knowledge of God and that we would turn and worship Him. God says, let there be light. He wants us to see and walk in the light that we would know Him and live in a relationship with Him. And this is not because He is sort of this vain, self-loving God. No, because what God wants is He wants us to know Him because to know Him is to be a recipient of His grace and His favor. God desires that we would be filled with knowledge of Him for our benefit. And so his desire for us, his desire for humanity, for all of creation is that we would live in the light by knowing him, by worshiping and and, and serving him and him alone. He invites us to to come and, and to know him and by knowing him, that is how we walk, not blindly, but in the light. But you see then, already by the third chapter of Genesis, as any good story has, we encounter a problem. It's this problem that the Scriptures speak very plainly as as sin. This problem is, is that humanity that was created to live in the light, to live in this knowledge of God and a relationship with Him, humanity rebels. Tempted by the enemy to, to no longer be content to simply live with the knowledge of God and be a recipient of His grace. Man and woman are tempted to attempt to climb up. To no longer be servants of God, but to try to be like God. And this fall into sin, immediately we see it bringing darkness upon creation. Adam and Eve, their eyes, they might be open to their own nakedness after they fall into sin, but their eyes are closed to the God who loves them and cares for them and provides for them. This new knowledge is actually blindness. It is actually darkness. And we see this darkness covering creation as the first thing that they try to do is run and hide Now, this might be a story that we could easily just sort of dismiss as as an old fairy tale, a fable that some who are too simple still believe, if it weren't for the fact that it speaks so profoundly to us still today. Because we look around the world and we look at ourselves, and what are most of us still trying to do in one way or another? We're still trying to run to the darkness, we're still trying to hide. We try to to hide behind the image that we want to present of ourselves. So so we cover ourselves up with with the nicest clothes we can find, or, or or the images that we paste of ourselves on on the internet. We try to define ourselves by by our success and our accomplishments, or the amount of education that we have. We try to hide behind all of the good so that we can keep the world from knowing any of the bad about ourselves what are we trying to do we're trying to run and hide and the reality is is that we as we run and as we hide the darkness it only increases because as you look at the great evils of the world what are they other than simply people trying to run and hide War and violence, they simply stem from people trying to hide behind power and the security that it brings. You look at racism. It's an attempt to hide behind being in sort of preferential status because of your racial background. You look at greed and and envy. What do they stem from? They stem from this desire to be defined by what we have. And the only way to really be accepted is to have more than the next guy. So I need to work and toil and get more and keep it and hoard it all for myself. Since the very moment of man and woman's rebellion, all that has happened is darkness has increased upon God's creation. We become blind to God, blind to what He wants for us. But yet all the while, we see in Scripture a God who remains unchanged by our rebellion, unchanged by the darkness. His, his will and His desire for creation is still that we would be filled with knowledge of Him, that we would still know and follow what He wants for us as His creatures. His desire is still to fill His creation with His light. And so we see from from the moment of the first fall, God makes a promise. And as He calls Abraham, He begins to then fulfill that promise. And, And as He lives in relationship with His people and He speaks to them through the prophets, He recounts that same promise over and over and over again. Saying, in spite of your sin... In spite of your rebellion, in spite of your your foolishness, I still want the same thing. I still intend to bring my light upon creation. And throughout the Scripture, the the promise, it grows, and, and God's people continue to wait. But as you and I both know, sometimes waiting produces a variety of different results. Produces a variety of different responses in us. And I think perhaps the most frequent one we experience is when we're forced to wait, we often feel ignored and forgotten. We feel ignored, forgotten, forsaken by the one that we're waiting for. And there's no doubt that God's people who were waiting for Him to come, who were waiting for this Messiah that had been promised, the one who would bring God's light back upon creation, there's no doubt that many of them felt forsaken. As we read those words from from Isaiah chapter 9, they're actually spoken to a region in Israel that was forgotten and forsaken in the minds of many people. It was these regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Regions that had been completely corrupted by sin and darkness. Their kings worshipped other gods. Their priests sacrificed to false idols. And the people of the nation just followed right along with them. And it's to these people who who were forgotten and forsaken that God says, when my light Comes. It is to you, the forgotten and forsaken portion of Israel. It's on you that my light is going to shine. Do you perhaps feel forgotten by God? Forsaken by Him? Ignored by Him? I think that sometimes the joy that everyone seemingly experiences around the holiday season, it can sometimes bring about some of the worst of those emotions that we experience. It can bring about those, those feelings of, of loneliness. Those feelings that I don't know where my life is going or, or I've made a mess of things. And if you feel that way, I, I actually have good news for you. Because the promises of Scripture, the promise of what God intends to do through His Son, come directly to you. That it is the forgotten in our world, those who feel as if they have been left behind, forsaken, those are the ones who God's promises speak most directly to. His desire is to shine His light into your darkness. His desire is, is to bring His hope into a world that is filled with hopelessness. He still desires that you would know Him. And, and through His Word, he, He's calling out, He's inviting you to come to walk in His light. Because that light is what God's people are waiting for. That light is what God's people have always been hoping for. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find myself looking for God's promises to be filled according to my expectations. I find myself thinking that that God should come as I expect Him to. But you'll see again and again in Scripture that God tends to work in ways that make no sense to us. And that's precisely what we encounter on Christmas is God working contrary to human expectation. Because as people are looking for the light of God to enter into the world, as as people are watching for Him and waiting for His light to dawn, most people are watching and looking for God to come with, with power and might to immediately and quickly and swiftly work His justice, overthrow those unjust institutions to lead a great military charge to overcome creation, to, to come in a ruler who will mightily bring about God's purposes, to mightily and powerfully and quickly bring God's light upon creation. But on Christmas, we encounter God working in an entirely different manner. We encounter God coming to his people, we encounter him bringing his light, not as a sunrise that fills the entire creation with its light at once, but he comes as that singular burning candle in a dark room. The light of God, the Savior of the world, he comes not born in a palace to a great powerful leader, but instead he comes in in the simplest perhaps the most lowly way possible. He comes to a teenage virgin, born in in a tiny little town and and lying in a manger. But you see, the fact that God comes in such a lowly way is perhaps the most profound statement that God makes in all of Scripture. Scripture. Because by coming in such a lowly form, God makes it plain to us that His gift of the Gospel, His Son Jesus, is not just for the high and the mighty. It is not just for the elite and the powerful. It is for everyone. He he comes in in the dirt and the filth. He, He comes in that way so that each and every one of us would know that there is nothing in our life, no mess that we've made, no thing that we've done. There is not a single person who is exempt from the love of God. Christ comes in a lowly form to know, to teach us that He's come for all of us. Because He's not just the Savior of the high and the mighty. He's not just the Savior of the rich and the powerful. He's the Savior of the poor and the lowly. He's the Savior of of weary, broken sinners. He's the Savior of, of people who have no righteousness of their own. And so He gives them the very righteousness of God. Jesus comes to us in this manger in Bethlehem. And he doesn't do it because he has to. He does it because he wants to. He comes to us as the willing Savior to tell us that he wants to shine his light into the darkest portions of our lives. Which is why Jesus, the Son of God, is willing not only to bear your flesh, but also desires to bear your cross. His desire is to fill your light, fill your life with the light and the knowledge of God. To bring you back to Him. To rescue out of sin. To rescue you out of the darkness. To bring you back into the light so that you would no longer walk in darkness, but actually live in the light and the knowledge of God. And that's the call that is before each and every one who comes and beholds Christ lying in the manger... It is not to go away unchanged, but to actually go away and live in the light. To to not turn to the darkness and the alienation, to not turn back to the old way, but rather to live in that light and that knowledge of God. Not to walk blindly, but to walk as people who see and know the Savior of the world. Because just as that light of God has shined upon you in the forgiveness that Jesus brings, that light of God now shines through you to the ends of the earth. God desires to use His people to bring that light of God into dark places. And so He does not just bring the light of God to us, He brings that light of God through us. He sends us out into the darkness of the world in a world that is is simply filled with wickedness and evil and darkness, in a world that is filled with people who do not know God and do not know the forgiveness of Jesus brings, how will they come to know Him? He desires that that the world would come to know Him through His people. On Christmas, we gather together in the darkness to remember that the light of God has come to us in Jesus in the forgiveness that his cross brings for all of us. He has woken us from sin and death. And now he calls you to go and walk in the light. He calls you to go and shine that light. The light of God has come. In Jesus' name, amen.